Welcome to the Robert Hunt Financial Market Update. It's your host, Robert Hunt, where I look at the week's news that can be a bit confusing, misleading, and take you off course. I help to make it actionable, understandable, and clear. We've got a fantastic show this week, no surprise. We're going to be looking at J.P. Morgan building a unit for the world's richest families. We're going to take some lessons from that. Try to tape capture some thoughts there. We're then going to look at an ex-Morgan Stanley broker in North Carolina who committed a $7.25 million fraud and soak some lessons out without judgment on, on that broker's clients. And then I want to do a review. I saw this on Twitter this this week. Market capitalization, size of the company, at the IPO versus where it is today. As we look back on the crazy uh, valuations and tech-fueled days that were the post-COVID investing environment. So let's get it started off the top here. And you may be wondering why I'm this article in particular is important. Just hang with me here. Bloomberg News, J.P. Morgan builds unit for world's richest families and wealth built. Bet. Okay. Article reads, J.P. Morgan Chase has quietly built a global unit focused on catering to the ultra-wealthy and their investment firms as it looks to expand services to the world's super-rich. Now, for those of you who can catch marketing... You caught some buzzwords that are appealing to people. So I'm wondering if this, is, this could be a puff piece for the unit itself, but they're quietly, oh, this could be exclusive. They're focusing on catering to the ultra-wealthy. Oh, could that be you? As they expand their services to the world's super-rich, all of a sudden, if you're reading this, you're saying, oh, is this a desirable place to be? Should I want to be in this group? Article continues, created just before the pandemic and led by J.P. Morgan veteran Andy Cohen. The business now includes about three dozen people. Now, what I found just breathtaking as the article continues is, well, who they cater to and how much money is coming in. Okay, so the article reads, global banks are vying for a greater share of the wealth created in recent years, helping to drive fierce competition for the world's biggest fortunes. J.P. Morgan's private bank opened, catch this, 40,000 new accounts in the past 10 weeks. And last year added one new client a day with assets of $100 million or more. I'm going to read that one again because very difficult to believe, but I, I do believe. Again, last year, <laughs> J.P. Morgan added one new client a day with assets of $100 million or more, Mary Erdo's chief executive officer of asset and wealth management said last week at the firm's investor day. Okay, that is bananas. Now, why do I think that's bananas? It's not just that I think it's amazing, and credit to them for having the scale and ability to onboard that velocity of clients. I want to get into the head of the person who is actually handing over $100 million or more to J.P. Morgan, and we must counsel them. So if they were, prior to signing on the dotted line, say, you know, Everyone's moving in this direction. Robert, what what do you think I should do? I'm, I've got my $200 million. You know what I'd tell them to do? No surprise to my regular listeners. Uh, don't sign on the dotted line. The great Peter Thiel, the venture capitalist, early investor in Facebook, Palantir, and uh, wrote uh, the book Zero to One, 
PayPal, part of the PayPal mafia. He said that when consumers don't understand a marketplace, meaning when a consumer doesn't understand the product or the price or how it works, they gravitate towards brands. I've noticed I can do this and many others can do this. If you're, if you're at the grocery store and you're not sure what ketchup to buy or how ketchup market works, you'll just buy Hunt's ketchup. No relation. If you're going to buy a car, sometimes you just say, you know what, just get me whatever the highest selling, you know, just, I'll just go to a brand. I'll do whatever, do Toyota, whatever, Lexus. The same dynamic occurs in wealth management to the great loss of the customer. So if someone were to say, Robert, I'm about to go to J.P. Morgan, what would I tell them to do? I'd give them a book or two. What I would bet, what I would bet, because what, what is oftentimes happening on this sales cycle, and this is a warning to all of us for any product, but especially for wealth management, for financial advice, we, we want exclusivity, we want to feel special, we want to go past that velvet rope. The banks know that, we are humans, and therefore they will create an atmosphere that is conducive to us feeling special, signing on the dotted line, and it having nothing to do with excellence in financial advice or products, okay? So what I would ask someone to do is, hey, I want you to read John Bogle's Little Book of Common Sense Investing. I want you to read J.L. Collins' Simple Path to Wealth. And then I'm going to equip you with five questions. I would, you know, don't have this off my head, but to ask J.P. Morgan in light of this new education you've been given. The questions would be, of course, you know, take away the brand, take away the velvet rope, take away the tickets to the hockey game at night, whatever they're going to offer you. What is this going to charge? What is it going to cost me? Full, full stop on the dotted line. What is it going to cost me? Do you believe active mutual funds can beat their index peer over a 10, 15 year period? That's only two questions, right? Out of the five, we could do more. But those two questions alone would, would let you see, ah, we can do so much better. We can do so much better. Now, I'll be the first to say, you know, the only thing that's worse than uh, that person with 200 million walking on J.P. Morgan, uh, that person doing nothing and just probably opening up a discount brokerage account by themselves and trading on their own. That would be worse. That would be worse. So the key here is to invest in our education. So when I read this article, I thought, wow, they're going to be, I mean, if they're getting this kind of velocity and new clients, a client a day worth $100 million or more, and there's now this quiet, exclusive unit propping up, there are going to be other levels that are sold to you and they're not, they're not based on what's best for you. So you got to be willing to do your own mind work in order to dodge that bullet, and I would encourage you to do so. Next article, ex-Morgan Stanley broker in North Carolina gets 7.25 years, over $7.25 million fraud. Ooh, the judge was nasty there. He lined up the years with the fraudulent number. Wow. Just noticed that. So a former four Morgan Stanley broker in Wilmington, North Carolina, has been sentenced to seven years and three months in prison for stealing almost $7.25 million. Sean Good pleaded guilty in September to wire fraud and money laundering charges. And he encouraged his clients to take out loans against their portfolio to invest in what he said were tax-free municipal bonds. But instead, he wired the money um, from their personal bank accounts to his own bank accounts to get around Morgan Stanley's compliance. So lessons here. Number one, this is your regular reminder that financial advisors have an incredible 
informational advantage over you selling your products. What do I mean? When you go present yourself to a financial advisor, give them all your financial information, give them all the insurance you have, show them where all the deals are, all, everything, and they are in the business of selling you products, you are toast. They know how much cash you have to pay for the products. They know exactly what you can and can't do. They, they know what they can make off you. They, it, it's such a position of trust that is violated with regularity that it, it amazes me stuff like this doesn't happen more. Sadly, this is, this is sad, very sad. Um, but it's why I do not advocate unless there are really unique circumstances and I tell people you can go to Vanguard service they, they have a 0.30% advisory service I do not like people having assets under management relationships do not like it I do not like people handing the keys over to their financial car so to speak where an advisor has discretion and can offer you deals so I never want the same person Offering me financial advice, selling me a product. Sadly, that's normative in financial advice. So when this article cropped up, I thought, you know, RHF family, we just can't remind ourselves enough that this stuff can happen. The greatest way to protect yourself from this happening is to not letting someone other than yourself have discretion over your account. Now, there are going to be unique circumstances where that doesn't work. In that case, there are groups who I think are better than others. Vanguard is a good one. There, there, there are a few others as well, but it is incredibly dangerous to walk into a bank or insurance company or wealth manager and say, hi, I want you to advise me on my wealth. And oh, by the way, they also have products they themselves can sell you. And AUM, assets under management fee wrappers, and as a reminder of how that works, they will charge you a percentage. It will not compute in your brain. They know this. You bring in a million dollars, they charge 1%. That's 10 grand a year. Plus, sometimes they have products they can sell on top of that. Remove those two. Just you, in 2023, you don't have to conjoin them. You can say, I just want financial advice. I'm going to pay you by the hour. That happens to be what Robert Hunt Financial does. Go to the website, roberthuntfinancial.com. You don't have to give someone the keys to your car and then just pay them absorbent amounts of money every year. And oh, by the way, risk something like this happening. So that's my first way to protect yourself is just don't don't give someone the keys so so this guy basically um and then you know second lesson here is here we go he he told his clients to pay for this by borrowing against their portfolio mm-hmm. now class why do you think he told them to borrow against their portfolio instead of simply just selling securities to move to the fraud it's a fraud either way but why do you think he was so desirous of his clients to borrow against their assets. The astutious among you will remember the manner in which Mr. Good was compensated. He gets compensated on a percentage basis of the assets under management. If you borrow against the assets, you still get to charge the same fees. Moreover, there are going to be origination fees and, and bonuses he gets for you borrowing money on your account. So This is not someone you want to take financial advice from. This is dangerous. This is a very dangerous arrangement. This one ended brutally, but there are hundreds and thousands of other relationships like this where the risk is not worth the reward in giving someone the keys. But in this instance, instead of the clients selling the securities and participating in fraud, nope, they borrowed against assets. And this, this happens with regularity. I see this all the time where clients are encouraged to borrow against. I think, why? You know, why did you? Well, they, <sighs> 
They told me to. My advisor at Bank XYZ told me to. Well, he wasn't thinking about you in that situation. He was thinking about himself. And I don't like that. So this gentleman, he owes people a bunch of money and sadly, um, I don't know what to what degree they're, they're going to be made whole by Morgan Stanley or not. And in the comment section, people were saying, Morgan Stanley, where, where was their fraud detection? Where, you know, where, where were they on this? Well, I actually, I think sure, yes, they could have done more, but he, he operated outside of their system. That's that trust thing. He, he was able to operate outside Morgan Stanley's system and say, hey, just send the money to your personal account, and then from your personal account, send it to my personal account. Well, Morgan Stanley doesn't have access to those accounts. So even if you're with a great compliance department, it's eh, that trust required. It's too much. You don't have to do it. Pay someone by the hour. You don't. I had an electrician help me today. The idea that I would pay him a percentage of the job, or like, hey, your house is worth X. I'm going to charge you one percent of what your house is worth for this jet repair job. That's insane. That's insane. And yet, people do it. It's normative in financial advice. It shouldn't be. That's part of the. It's part of what gets yours truly up in the morning. Is that it must not be. Customers must see. They don't have to do that. There are better ways to live, friend. There are better ways to live. You don't have to give the plumber, the electrician, or the financial advisor a percentage of the job. You can simply pay them by the hour. As the electrician left, he did a great job. I said, "What are you? Oh no, we'll we'll just send you a bill. It was an hour." I said, great. How transparent is that? How much governmental interference and protections are required in that industry? Yet, yet with financial advice, because we as consumers haven't equipped ourselves yet, we're a slave to the story of the salesman, the gentleman in the nice tie and the suit who attended a, our same university and goes to church with us, whatever. We've got to equip ourselves, friends, with the right education and then as David Crockett said, be sure you are right and then go ahead. Allegedly, I know. He's quoted a lot. And then I wanted to close with this. This was a, a CB Insights uh, tech IPO and valuation data. I thought this was incredible. So we have amnesia, all of us do, with financial history. I want us to think back to the post-COVID mania. Do you remember it? Go ahead and close your eyes, listener, if you're struggling. Close your eyes. And remember, you're locked down in COVID, okay? You're sitting there. The stimulus is coming. The stimulus is coming. All this money's been pumped in. People are, oh, here come the articles. People are day trading from their couches, making lots of money. These tech stocks are going bananas. Stock market's ripping. Ah, do you, are you there yet? It's tough because we're not there right now. All we remember is the present. But you remember that? Yeah, I do. Took a little effort for me as well. But this brought it back. And the great Warren Buffett always said he never invests in IPOs. Never. And he's got his, his reasons. But this data certainly bore it out. So I'm just going to read a couple of these. So Rivian, it at its IPO, that stands for Initial Public Offering. That's the total value of the company when it went public on the stock exchange where people could buy and sell shares publicly. So it went from private to public. Rivian is an electric car maker. It went public at $87.5 billion. Current public market cap is $12.8 billion. Just a fraction. Just a fraction. Airbnb. We know that name, don't we? 
It IPO'd at $86.5 billion. It trades today at $74.1 billion. Not as bad. Some of these you don't know. Qpang, never heard of it. $84.5 billion IPO, $23.6 billion today. Snowflake is pretty famous, software provider. $70.48 IPO, $43.9 today. Coinbase, mm-hmm. I know some of my listeners know this one well. IPO'd at $65.4 billion. This is a crypto brokerage company that um, does a couple other things as well, but current value is $13.1 billion. DoorDash. Certainly, you know DoorDash. They bring food to your door in a dash. IPO at $60.2 billion. Market value today, $21.2 billion. Now, Robinhood's on here. You know Robinhood. $29.1 billion IPO, $7.9 billion today. What am I saying? And there are a couple here who are up. Mobileye um, is up a little bit. Um, and there's another one that was up. Palantir, which is a, hey, Peter Thiel company. It's basically flat, but up a little bit. So, all right, Robert, thanks. What's the lesson? And Bumble, is Bumble dating? I don't know. $18.3 billion IPO, $3.7 billion today. So huge haircut. Some of these are just breathtaking losses on behalf of the folks that participated in the IPO. And it's easy for us to look back and say, ha, you see, oh, that was so silly. Wasn't that silly that they invested at these highs? Didn't they, didn't they know? But some of you that participated yourselves in these offerings or bought shortly thereafter know, how hard was it to keep ourselves off the controls in that moment. As you hear from a peer that they doubled their money, as you hear from the news cycle, the buy, buy, buy. I could, I could have found countless articles recommending you buy all these. All these. I could have read innumerable research reports from various banks saying, buy, 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 buy. But what happened? This is just investing, friend. A lot of things happened, but the Federal Reserve raised interest rates and that cheap money left the system and these companies are being forced to stand on their own. And that hot money, that hot money that existed, it's getting swept up a little bit. So these these companies are struggling. Another one here, Affirm, market cap at IPO, $23.6 billion, value today is $3 billion. And I've had, I've had clients walk in, and they've participated in some of this, and they're, they're, they're no less intelligent than any of us. And oh, by the way, I myself have participated in this sort of mania. I, I, many of you know in uh, the year 2000, I got caught up in the late... Um, tech craze bought Internet America got wiped out Park City's YMCA money wiped out I did the same thing I did exactly what I was supposed to do I thought at the time that's what all the smart people were doing this should just give us an ounce of humility you know what we don't know which stocks are going to win and lose we don't know we don't know and we need to just focus on what we control which is doing what Keep your costs low, keep your investing simple.